turn of life, eternal life. Let us turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'll be reading and focusing on verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, instructive, life-giving word to our hearts and souls. Father, as we just sang, let us hear your word. Therefore, help me not read into it or avoid it but to let it be clearly spoken and seen. I'm desperate for your spirit. We're all desperate for the work of your spirit so that we don't just hear with our ears and see with our eyes what it said, but that we would be moved and re. Joyce in our hearts to the goodness, Lord Jesus, to your goodness, the great shepherd of the sheep. Amen. So we're here in the last chapter. It's been close to two years since we began this book of Hebrews. And in this last chapter, the writer refers to church leaders three times. He's already done it in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And he will again in verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. So the existence of church leaders is a given in the New Testament. And it's assumed here in the book of Hebrews. And so he says in verse 17. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, let me just, I'm going to open it up in the context of where we live. In today's world, there are many leaders of churches who follow. American business principles more than they follow biblical mandates 
to lead the church. Biblically, throughout many centuries, old school church leadership, it was essentially the requirements of spiritual maturity and biblical fidelity, faithfulness in preaching and in teaching. For decades now, I've been through the academic religious institutions. It was pushed. It, it, it's, well, you got church planning organizations to say, this is how we're going to do Who do we want? And we're going to get present-day psychological tests for them to take to see if they're the kinds of people we want. To see, in other words, if they're a type A CEO personality, a visionary who, who know how to grow the brand. Many people, therefore, view the work of leaders in a church like leaders of a corporation, of Coca-Cola, or anything else you're selling. You have to understand what the consumer out there wants. If you want them to buy your product, and then you give it to them. That's how the retail world works. And so there are many CEOs who are very successful in religiosity in growing large campuses that cater to thousands. And then they write books and have conferences. This is how you do it. It's how I did it. All right, so, but if the scriptures are sufficient for life and godliness, like Paul says, they're sufficient to equip God's people then you would certainly think that the scriptures themselves would have something to say about church leadership. And they do. And we're not going to look at all of them. We're going to focus on the one that is before us as we are working our way through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So, just look at it and note the clarity of this verse. It's an exhortation for these Christians, for the people as a whole, to obey and to submit to church leadership. Okay, now, why? And the answer is right there. It's twofold. One, because they're keeping watch over your souls. And that's a good thing. Secondly, because it's for your advantage, literally for your profit. So submission to church leadership, he says here, is a means for the leaders to lead joyfully. And that joyful leadership is to your benefit. Do you see it? 
Submit because they protect your souls and you benefit from joyful leadership. All right. So does that seem fair? Accurate, unfolding interpretation of what is before us. All right, so what profit? What profit or, or what advantage is this to local churches? Okay, I th- it comes in a context. We've been slowly working our way through this letter to these Jewish Hebrew Christians. That's the context. This exhortation now in our verse to submit It's not disconnected from the seriousness of this letter to the Hebrews. Actually, coming at the end now, this exhortation is a result of everything he's been saying in the book of Hebrews. So, just to refresh our memory of what this whole book of Hebrews is about, let's just get the gist Remember what he said in chapter 10, verse 39. But we, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the goal of this book, has been to help the professing Christians not shrink back from faith and have their souls destroyed. But instead, that they would persevere in faith, that they would preserve their souls. So that's why he said back in chapter 3, verse 12, Church, take care, precaution, be vigilant about this, take care. Care, Christians, lest, meaning in order that this not be true of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And in chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, he exhorted, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In order that you may not be sleepy or sluggish, but that you would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, so the goal, the purpose of spiritual leadership is that. It is mainly the salvation of souls. And the book of Hebrews has been clear that salvation is is not merely a one-time event. To say a prayer and to ask Jesus into your heart or at your confession through baptism. It is not merely this point in time, salvation's over here and then everything else is something different. But in Hebrews, 
that coming to Jesus, your eyes being open, believing you're saved, you're justified, that is now the beginning. And then Hebrews lets us know that continues to evidence itself by a lifelong battle against your innate sinful nature. A battle against your sin, a battle against unbelief in what God has said, and by battling against and knowing what false doctrine is so that you don't imbibe it. That's been Hebrews. And so the job of pastors and elders is mainly to help the flock persevere in faith and be saved. All right. So in our passage, there are two main topics here. Church leadership and submission to church leadership. So that means two weeks. This morning, church leadership, which will put next week into its proper context. So, leadership. Leaders. Leaders, obviously, lead. Okay, now, biblically, all of Jesus' sheep, all whom he's called to himself, who hear his voice, who come to faith, whether that person is in a position of leadership in the church or not, all of them are on equal ground before God in His presence. There is no other man who is a mediator between the Christian and God except the man, Jesus Christ. There are no priests to go through. All believers are part of the priesthood of coming into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Okay. But the New Testament clearly does teach a distinction between leaders in the local church and those led. And this is God's way. I mean, just in all of creation, God Himself has ordained various levels of authority under His ultimate authority. I mean, three massive ones and clear ones in Scripture is God's ordained civil government. He's ordained the family and authority in the family and in the local church. And He's done it in order to protect and to bless those who are under that authority. So, for instance, civil government, it's clear in the Scripture, clear in Romans 13, it is established by God. Why? 
to protect and to bless law-abiding citizens against the lawless lawbreakers. That's the point. So, when government does its job and criminals are apprehended and punished, and then people dwell in relative safety. And you want civil government. You want authority. You want law and you want law enforcement because the only other option is anarchy. And you don't want Rwanda. God does that as a blessing to people. But all authority can go astray to the extent that government leaders are corrupt to that extent. The citizens suffer. Okay, the family. God has ordained the family. That basic unit. Unit here, unit there, another neighbor over there. They're families, and he has appointed the husband to be the authority in the family in order to protect and to bless his wife and his children. Ungodly husbands who use their authority for their own selfish ends, they are abusing God's authority. And they will answer to God. In the church... God has appointed spiritual leaders to care for the body. And as Peter said, I mean, they're called elders, shepherds, overseers. It's all referred to the same thing. It's what they are. And Peter said they are not to lord it, to be some type of an abusive, controlling person or group of persons over the people. Don't lord it over them, but the job is to be an example to the flock in 1 Peter 5. All right, there's just a basic. We go back to our verse and notice that at the, the, at the heart of pastoral leadership is a pursuing of joy. Of joy in God. Look at the second half of verse 17. Let them, the leaders, do this. Do what? Keep watch. That's the context. Let them keep watch over your souls with joy. And not with groaning. Why? Because that would not be of an advantage to you. Joyful leaders are a benefit to a congregation. Now, I, I hate to say this, but when you read polls from the Barna Research Group, on the amount and the large percentage of men, young men, middle-aged men, who joyfully go into ministry. And then five years later, they're done. 
out. I'm going to go sell insurance. Because to be in pastoral ministry where people can make, and this has never been true in this church, I promise you, but, but, but in so many churches, the pastor is so discouraged and miserable that how can you lead? And you see why they would leave. Pastoral leadership is to be joyfully pursued. Joy in Christ Jesus is at the heart of what leaders are meant to model for those they lead. Just think about the opposite. Just think about a constantly depressed, miserable, gloomy man making clear in all of his fellowship with the church and relations with them and making it clear behind the pulpit that there's nothing really that joyful about this gospel of Jesus. That would not be to the people's benefit. Now, notice the text says the leaders are charged to keep watch. Stay alert. Keep watch over the souls of the people. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for because they are keeping watch over your souls. That keeping watch, it's shepherd's language. Flock language. It means to keep on the lookout, to keep yourself awake. Don't go to sleep. You're on guard tonight for the sheep. Keep watch on the alert for wolves so that they don't devour the sheep. There's a, there's a negative aspect to keeping watch for wolves, and there's, there's a positive in how you, you lead and you feed them. And you bring them to places where they can eat and be safe. So negatively, a uh, side of elders is that they are to watch out for false teachers. Infiltrating. They, they, they are to watch for dangerous doctrines and false teachings. And in the context, that's been much of the book of Hebrews up to this point, what he's doing. And so think about the Apostle Paul. After years of ministry in Asia Minor, he's finally leaving. He's going to get on the ship, and he's intending to go to Jerusalem. And he does not expect, <clears throat> because he wants to get to Rome after that and go to Spain. He does not expect to ever see these people again. So he calls all the leaders of the churches. I don't know if there's 100, 300 or what. Many, 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 many house churches throughout Asia Minor. He calls them together and he gives them his last exhortation. And you know it. Acts chapter 20. And in the middle of the exhortation to these elders, 
he says this starting with verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Your own life, your own walk before God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. You feel His earnestness. And there's a reason he's so serious about that. Look at it. He goes on. I know he knows something. And boy, was he right. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you leaders, not sparing the flock. And he even goes more straight at them. And from among these men in front of him, from among your own selves, some of you here will arise speaking twisted things in order to draw away the disciples after them. And therefore, oh, you see that? That's the next word. Therefore, be alert. Keep watch. That's the negative side. Wolves, protect, be clear, point out false doctrine, by pointing to true doctrine, which brings to the positive side of watchfulness, it's the continuous, faithful exposition of God's written word. In other words, shepherds must be watchful. They must be alert to the intended meaning of Scripture. What does it say? Not just to read it and jump off and have happy thoughts that you want to speak about. They are to be able to unfold it, allow the power and the preciousness of what is there on the page be seen by those who have eyes to see. To be heard by those who have ears to hear. Which ultimately means this. The authority of elders in a local church doesn't rest in them. It rests in the Scripture. Authority doesn't rest in the personality of a pastor. It doesn't rest 
in their ability to confidently say, do what I say because I said do it. Sheep have no obligation to obey an elder or a pastor just because they said it. If they say things that are not biblical, that are contradictory to the Bible, they or you are not obligated to do it or to believe it. Authority in the church is the word of God mediated through the elders. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 1, the writer said, Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard. It's all right here in the book. We have to do that lest we drift away from it. And so the job of elders is to help the congregation pay close attention to the word so that they don't drift away from it. You know, for 10 years as a Christian, I was in a particular church and theology, precious people, a lot of it rejected, especially a, a theology of authority in the church. And I remember hmm, 10 years after I left that church, it's about 23 years ago, I was sitting down with a pastor after a funeral in a living room and he asked me, so where is authority? Because I can see why he asked it because his life got so confused when the teaching of apostolic ministries was about. And he was a pastor at a church, and the apostle says, I'm over you, I'm an apostle, and we're gonna, you know, essentially do what we want to do with your church and command you around, and then fear comes. And I was, but I came to a place where I was actually shocked, much older man than I am. What's the authority? Well, it's not in the Pope. And it's not in any local pastor in their person. The authority is God's holy written word once for all given. And the job of leaders is to be a mediator and a conduit and faithful to that in their teaching and protection and guarding and leading. So that's why, I, I mean, look, I, I meant this, and I said it in, a, in that little short auto, spiritual autobiography, really, of why am I the way I am? Why do I think the way I do? Why do I pastor the way I do? And in the introduction, I said, essentially, every Sunday morning, like I did here this morning, I say, turn here, and I'm going to read such and such. And then basically, implicitly, what I am saying is, judge me. Judge me on whether I unfold the meaning and the application of what is here in the text. Finally, this means that leaders must guard against trying to be loved. 
by those they lead. If you're a lieutenant in the Marines on a battlefield and your goal is to be loved by those under your care and instruction and command, you will be a horrible leader. If you're a parent raising children and your bottom line goal is that they love you and you just don't like it when they ever think, I don't like you, you will screw them up. Paul said it this way in Galatians 1, verse 10. Because he was harsh, and he need, where he needed to be harsh as a shepherd, caring for the flock because fierce wolves have entered. And he points them out in their doctrine. And so then after that, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Men pleasers don't want to teach on doctrines that are not popular, even if they are biblical. And they don't want to confront someone who's teaching error because we all know and we all feel a fear of conflict. But pastors and elders will give an account to the great shepherd of the sheep on how they led and how they fed the flock. How they watched over their soul. One of the strongest admonitions in the Bible to pastors, elders, pastoral leadership is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. What we read here is, is the essence of being watchful on behalf of the souls of the flock. Paul writes, Pastor Timothy, I charge you. Charge him what? Well, you got to jump down to the beginning of verse 2 to read it clearly. I charge you, preach. The word. The emphasis there is not on preach. It's on the word. But you notice there's a whole bunch of words in between that. Which only tells me. Even with Timothy, he's very close to Timothy. He's in prison now. Paul knows he's most likely going to be dead within six months by execution. And before he gets to the content of the charge, preach the word, he says, Timothy, uh, let's pull back. 
I want you to know how dead serious I am about what I'm going to say. So let's read it. I charge you in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus. Timothy, who is coming back. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And I charge you by Jesus' appearing then in His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season for what? To reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Again, why are you so earnest, Paul? That's the next word. For. Here's the reason. Make sure you do this. Because the time is coming when people will not endure or put up with sound teaching. But instead, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will wander off into myths. But as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, clear-thinking. Endure suffering to the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, just two weeks ago, two of my high school teammates were in town, and about an hour before church service two weeks ago, one of them texted me and says, we are coming to your service this morning. And then put this, and I, and I took it in the fun in which it was meant, okay? But said, uh, you better bring the heat. Heat, I don't know, man. Is that my goal? Okay, so somewhat in seriousness, but understood, and he understood. I, 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 I texted back, exact quote, shooting for faithful. I don't know if there'll be heat, but I want to be faithful. I'm going to close with a prayer pastor's would pray over 400 years ago in England. It's a prayer in the Valley of Vision written in the 1600s titled, A Pastor's Prayer. Oh my Lord, let not my ministry be approved only by men.
or merely win the esteem and affections of people, but do the work of grace in their hearts. Call the elect. Seal and edify the regenerate ones and command eternal blessings on their souls. Lord, save me from self-opinion and self-seeking. Water the hearts of those who hear your word, the, the seed sown in weakness, that it may be raised in power. Cause me and those who hear me to behold you here in the light of special faith and hereafter in the blaze of endless glory. Make my every sermon a means of grace to myself. And help me experience the power of your dying love. Because your blood is balm, your presence is bliss, your smile is heaven, and your cross is the place where truth and mercy meet. Look upon the doubts and the discouragements of my ministry and keep me from self-importance. I beg pardon for my many sins Omissions, infirmities, as a man, as a pastor. Command your blessing on my weak, unworthy labors and on the message of salvation given. Stay with your people and may your presence be their portion and mine when I preach to others. Let not my words be merely elegant and masterly, my reasoning polished and refined. But may I exalt you and humble sinners. O Lord of power and grace, all hearts are in your hands, all events at your disposal. Set the seal of your almighty will upon my ministry of the word. Amen. Father, may that continually be my prayer, Bob's prayer. We know we will give an account. So may we continually rush into the grace of this glorious gospel that is not by any righteousness of our own or any good works of our own, but as dirty, rotten, hell-bound sinners, those who by your grace were awakened to the truth of the gospel. May we remain faithful to it, to protect and watch over the flock, to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us stand and worship such a worthy, great shepherd of the sheep.